0: Kiss me, fat boy. 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 Kiss me, fat boy.
1: Warning: the following podcast contains adult themes, explicit themes, and content and language, and may be not suitable for more sensitive. And younger listeners, there's also content that will be triggering, especially in this podcast. There is a trigger warning for SA uh, to a minor, okay? And um, also, um, violence to animals. This is a Stephen King podcast, and um, there's lots of things like that going on in this particular one. Spoiler warning, we are going to go through these books and there will be spoilers for the named books of this podcast but also cross-references within the Stephen King community. We are not affiliated with Stephen King or any of the entities that release his uh, works on various platforms and the opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of those expressed and not of any sponsors. And I guess that's pretty much all my warnings. I can't remember any other warnings I need to give. Serena here today, and I got Luciana with me again. Say hey, Luch. Hello. We're going to do the Four Past Midnight series, which is um, a collection of novellas. (coughs) Oh, Lorelai, say hello. (coughs) Hey. Okay, but Lorelai's not part of this podcast because she just came and go because she's not listening to any of this stuff. This is pretty intense stuff. All right, so this is like Four Past Midnight. Um, It was... Basically, it's a collection of novellas he wrote. He wrote from eighty-eight to eighty-nine, and I think um, it was released in ninety. Uh, Seven hundred sixty-three pages. It just has all these stories in it. We have the Langoliers, we have the Library Policeman, Secret Window, Secret Garden, the Sun Dog. Now, the Library Policeman is in our version, but I don't. There it is. Okay, uh, so it's four. Of these just these four novellas and. Um, generally i'm glad i read it um i had the reason why i wanted to read this was because of the lover policeman because there's a big pennywise spoiler and uh you know there's that's just something that's going on so i was very and plus there's leland gaunt was in there so there's just a lot of connections that i just wanted to understand so in order to get to the library policeman i had to go through all these other stories. So it starts out with The Langoliers, and um, The Langoliers was a really stupid, stupid novella. We're going to watch the movie, but I'm not excited about it.
0: Uh, did you like The Langoliers? Yeah, I liked it. I just didn't get it. Well, why didn't you get it? Well, I, I like the story and the writing, but the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the premise... It was weird. It was based on the layers are kind of like an urban legend, I guess, that, uh, that you know, are taught to children that they come to.
1: Was it a real or was it fictional to the story? Have you heard that before?
0: Oh, no, I don't. Yeah, I've never heard of Langoliers. Yeah, so he just created this. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. But uh, so he might have created this legend. Though it might be something in Maine or whatever. Remember, like, the... Uh, was it? Was it the Tommyknockers? Tommy Knockers. I did, I always thought Tommyknockers was made up by Stephen King, but they were They were. Yeah. they were actually. a Tommy might be. So, so there might actually be longoliers or whatever as a as an urban legend, yeah. you know, just for the book. Well, but my problem yeah. with it was, uh, I, you know, I didn't under. I just didn't. I don't know. It it just happened. Like the story just happened. There's no history history of this happening before. I don't know. I don't know what I can't really explain why I didn't understand it, but it was uh, I don't know. Like I said, I'd like the writing of it. I like the interaction between the characters. Yeah. But the the overall story was kind of I don't know. I just didn't get it. Well, what do you
1: think about the narration by? Um,
0: Who did it? Was it uh, was it Willem de? Willem
1: Dafoe. Yeah. Okay, so Willem. Dafoe, I'm going to say this about all of these. Willem Dafoe did this one. James Woods did The Secret Garden, Secret Window, Secret Garden. And I just say this right now. Just because you're an actor does not mean you're a good voice voice actor, audible type reading books. Because both of them did horrible, in my opinion. I thought, wow, you guys aren't that good actors as I thought you were. Like Willem Dafoe, he just sounded sounded stupid when he did the Bethany character. It just... And I just he did, I just don't think he had the depth of talent for that type of, um. So, and the same for James Woods, I didn't think he did good, and I didn't realize that James Woods had such a lisp until this. Oh uh-huh. really? Yeah. So anyway, so the it starts out with Brian Engel, who is had just come. He's a pilot. He would just come off a very difficult um, flight, where you know from Tokyo to Los Angeles, and he finds out that his ex wife had died, and and she so he boards a red eye to go, you know, to, to Boston where she is at, her body's at, And, um, so he's a passenger and he's on this and there's, so he's from, so he's going from Los Angeles to Boston and the attendants, you know, doing their thing. Everybody's there and he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, uh, and it was difficult. I think it was, I, think, I don't think it's a difficult takeoff. Everything was normal and he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, because he's exhausted, he had had that bad. And there's like flashbacks to the whole thing because it was something to do with like the um, people almost passing out because the pressure was bad in the cabin. It was just crazy stuff and he thinks about that a lot. And then his ex wife passes and that's just like he's completely stressed out. So he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, like a bunch of pretty much almost the whole. Uh, airplane is empty, right. but there's things like retainers, it's like yeah, metal objects I think. It's just random. yeah, what metal objects like like something like a like if you had a screw in your in your knee, that screw would be laying there on the seat, but the person, their clothes, everything disappeared. Right. and you're like what what happened to them? And so they're spending a lot of time. So this cast of characters is there's Bethany who is a young lady. Um, there's Dinah Bellman, which she is the, uh, young girl who's got the shining and she's the most annoying character, um, in this whole, book. so whole novella. I couldn't stand her. And, um, she, I think she's blind. So she, she had somebody with her that was her helper or her family member and they're gone. And, um, cause she feels like she's feeling around and she finds, a wig, and she thought it was a scalp, and so she's screaming and freaking out. But um, anyway, then there's um, there's a teacher Laurel who gets close to Dinah, and then there's a diplom- alleged di- diplomat Nick, British diplomat Nick Hopewell, which they make him seem like M six. Yeah, and man, I did not like uh M
0: I six. I yeah. Okay, M I six. Six.
1: Anyway, um yeah they made him his his accent was like not British like it kept changing um willow Defoe went from like British to Australian to it's like it was just not a good accent and um his character was very interesting and uh everything and he um let's see who else was there there was um there's Dinah laurel, Bethany. Bob is a um, he's a he's annoying too because he's like, I can't tell you what I have to come to the conclusion because I need to make more observations. So that was a that Bob Jenkins writer was really annoying. Um, Albert was a young Jewish violinist and he had hit this secret um alter ego that he what was it like? He was like, um, like kind of like a Jewish uh western hero, kind of like,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And so, um, so he had this fan, he was running that fantasy in his mind. Um, there is the businessman, Rudy Warwick, and there's a mechanic, Don Gaffney. And of course, the horrible bank manager, Craig Toomey, who he's the one who knows about the Langoliers. And he's also pretty much in a, um, psychotic break, if not in a schizophrenic moment, because he's hearing voices and all this stuff. So he is just, you know, he's actually in a lot of trouble with his career, and he's got to get to this meeting, and he's willing to do anything to get there, and he acts really shady, and he's, like, killing people because he's just in a psychotic break. And the Langoliers, I almost wonder if he called the Langoliers to be there because no one ever heard of the Langoliers but him, and yet they're there, you know. And so um, let's see who else. And... I think that's pretty much the whole. And then there's the guy who slept through the whole thing. He's unknown. He slept. He was drunk. He He slept the whole thing. No consequences. No problems for him. So um, when they realize that the uh, that the plane's empty and all these people have disappeared and they don't know what's happened to them, um, Brian has to take over and land. He ends up landing the uh, plane in Bangor, Maine, because he's like, this is the only place we can really do it where we don't run out of fuel. And they go into the they think, okay, we're coming in for emergency landing, but they can't get anybody on the, the devices, nothing's working right. They get down there and they're in the uh, airport and everything's just weird. The no electricity, nothing's working right. The food is in there, but it's gone it's gone bad. So basically, just to save you guys all the trouble, it turns out they're in a pocket dimension, a few uh seconds in the past it could be milliseconds it's really weird how it works and the reason why i understand i understand exactly what they mean and the only reason why this story is good to to uh, listen to and understand because in the tower there's these a lot of these pocket dimensions they go through and so there's also a pocket dimension in the the book that he wrote with his son owen called sleeping beauties and it goes to a different time it's the same place at a different time And so they figure out finally that they are in the past and it's starting to dwindle down. Like they only have a few seconds before this place is going to... It's slowed down there, so for a few seconds in regular time, but slowed down in this place. You know, this could be like... Like it could be like days between the tick of one second to the next second in normal time. And they're stuck in this pocket dimension. But they realize... That because it's the past, it's going to disappear. Wow. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when you blow the candle out. There's a few seconds where you can still see the light, and then it's gone. It's it's very like we're talking about milliseconds. You know, fractions and fractions of time. So when they realize this, they're like, "Oh my goodness, we got to get." So everything's affected. So nothing's good. So they can't get any fuel or anything. Everything's bad.
0: Well, and, the food the food doesn't have any taste. Is that what it was? The food didn't it wasn't have bad though, right?
1: The food didn't have any taste, but there was also some like the beer didn't have bubbles, it had gone bad. Oh, okay. But you're right, the food didn't have any taste, but I think it was slowing down. That's how they figured out it was slowing down time because the bubbles were fizzed out of the beer, the soda was flat, everything was
0: flat. But anyway, so and when they went onto the plane, everything turned like on the plane, time was normal. Yeah, you you can taste the food, uh, the beer, turned back into beer. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was the fuel, wasn't it? The, the fuel the, was the, good. They they couldn't light. Was it? They couldn't light a lighter or something. Yeah, you couldn't or, strike a match. Strike a match, and that's why the gun didn't work.
1: Right. That's why the, yeah. Because while they were in the um, airport, uh, the crazy guy, the banker, I think it was Craig. his name, Craig. He decided to go. Ballistic and tried to get out because he had to get there now and he went putting up with it and he was in a psychotic um, break from reality, so he thought this was all a conspiracy.
0: Did he, and, he believed the others were Langoliers also? No,
1: he knew that the Lingoliers were, no, he knew they were something else, but they, um, but anyway, he just thought it was like he, everything, he just thought that everybody was getting in his way and he could hear his father, who was dead, talking to him and putting him down, and he could hear his mother talking to him. She was also dead. Now, um, so, basically, the whole thing is that this Bethany girl, she's psychic. She's got the shining. And she's like, we need him. I hated the way he did her voice. Like, we need him. Mm-hmm. And she was just, like, a real weird, pathetic character. I, I did, her portrayal of her character was horrible. I just thought this this kid got a bad uh, rap because even the dialogue, Forget. let's put aside the um, bad voice acting, the dialogue that was written with her was just stupid. Like she was stupid. Like she. But it did turn out they did need him. But I don't remember. Oh yeah, so he because he ended up blowing up something, right? Yeah, that's right. And that was the push they needed to get back to the um, correct time. So basically, what they did was they figured out they could hear this popping, crackling sound that sounded like like static, and it was the Langoliers eating up this because they're the ones that come in and uh, destroy what's left. It's basically like a visual of how the past becomes the past and passes. It's really, it's like deep, but also, you know, interesting visual for it. Um, So they're hearing this crackling. And so this whole place is going to get wiped out because it's going to completely become the past. And so it's slowed down to such a point that they can actually be there and see all this stuff. So they get back in the plane. They can't use any of the fuel. There's just a little bit of fuel left and um bethany ends up getting killed but and stabbed and then the, sh- the gun didn't go off correctly they had tied craig down but then he gets his hand on a knife um the uh one guy was starving all the time the construction guy he was like oh, i need something to eat oh my gosh and then um the book guy was like trying to figure everything out and he was everybody was obnoxious it's like all the obnoxious characters that Stephen King ever created were all in one story. And, um, basically they figure out, you know, after all this stuff that happens, uh, Bethany and the young Jewish kid end up kind of making out and having their moments. Um, the the teacher had Laurel had gotten close to, um, the child, but then the child ends up getting stabbed. And so they figure out, and of course the guy's asleep the whole time. The drunk guy, uh, he's just there. They figure out they need to get back on the plane and fly through the exact coordinates through this, like, pocket, this uh, gateway to the pocket in time. And that with the hopes that they'll go back to where they were. And so they do it successfully with the help of Craig, who is trying to blow up something. Um, so he because he's like, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And that push gets them off the road and they fly and they go through the pocket and they freak out when they first get there because they see that. Is still quiet, but then time catches up. So they just got a few seconds in in the future, and then time caught up, and they were good to go. And that was the story of the Langoliers, and I did um, not—I'm glad I read it to understand the concept of time that Stephen King is working with. That's how his brain works, um, to understand his other stories, but it was not—it was a very annoying story. So, anything else you want to say about the Langoliers? Well,
0: the uh, the character Nick there—he's the one who sacrifices himself. Oh, yeah, himself
1: that I forgot. Yes, to, uh,
0: to uh, stay awake while everybody else—that's
1: right. They had to wait. figure out. There they had to be asleep. They had to
0: be asleep, and so they lowered the pressure, I guess, in the to uh, knock them out and yeah. then turn it back on. Right, and and then he was flying uh, the plane, uh, but his supposedly his uh, redemption was you know to save their lives because. He had killed three Irish boys or something.
1: Yeah, working for the government the, yeah. as a spy.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, so he wanted him to tell his dad, tell his dad that you know this is I did this for this to redeem myself for this incident, right. and also this the poor school teacher went through the worst in my opinion, besides the ones who the one who died, but um, because she got close to Bethany and Bethany died, she got close to Nick and Nick ends up dying. Like she and him had a romance going on you know, and she was, uh, she felt like she was past it. I love how she's like in her early forties and she was past it. Oh, I bet he's changed his ideas about that kind of concept.
0: You know, wasn't she going to meet somebody?
1: Yeah. She was going to go meet. um, She was going to have one last kind of like flame because she thought she was past it. This was like her last chance to have her romance with a pen pal, you know, before the internet with a pen pal that she had, you know, come up with. And, she knew that if she waited any longer, she couldn't find a man. And she was, like, what, 42 or something crazy? Yeah. It was, like, so crazy. It's like, whatever, dude. That is not old, okay? I'm sure he's, like, 70-something now. I'm sure his, his attitude's about ages changed since the 70s. But, um, well, yeah.
0: We like, well, we were talking about the Outlander book. Uh, she was 27, and she was over the hill in that. In oh, yeah. Well, that, that was a
1: different time when they lived, <laughs> to like, 50. Okay, so the next story in this um And this little hoorah is called, let's see, Secret Window, Secret Garden. James Wood narrated this, and um, for those that listen to the Audible or the Libby or whatever, the audio version of this, and he did such a bad job. I didn't realize he had such a lisp. And his lisp just made all the characters sound like the same person. Um, At least uh, Willem Dafoe gave everybody really nasally. I don't know. I just think that you should hire people that do this for a living to do it, you know? So the story of Secret Window, Secret Garden, like the Langoliers, it has become a movie with Johnny Depp. It's just called Secret Window. And we'll check that out. Um, I bet you the movie's better than the book. The book wasn't bad. It's just the narration ruined it for me. Um, and it was like predictable. Like you really knew pretty early on what was going on in my opinion. So, um, So it's basically uh, Morton Rainey. He's a successful novelist in in Maine. So um, he, Morton has put himself in, you know, a bad place. He's divorced. His uh, wife had an affair with some, I think it was an insurance salesman or something like that. And uh, they ended up divorcing and she ends up getting with him. And um, the story just starts off where he is um, being confronted by this, this uh, this kind of shadowy man that calls himself John Shooter, he says that he stole his um his story, one of his stories, that is plagiarized, and he is going to kill him and kill his wife and do everything, make his life hell, if he doesn't fess up, and so um Morton basically says, hey, you know, prove to me that, that when did you write it? So he's getting these phone calls from this guy, and, show, and he's showing up, too, and he wears, like, a hat. And he's just um, saying, no, I wrote this, and you said yours was published. I don't know the exact date, but yours was published in 78. Mine was published in 75 or 77. So I can prove it. I'll get a copy of it. So he can't find a copy of it. All His, um, his house is set on fire. Uh, so the evidence is, his, his library part is like study set on fire. So the evidence is destroyed. But he kills his a cat. Publisher
0: didn't have a copy or something. Yeah, his
1: publisher didn't have a copy. Cause it was like an obscure, an extremely obscure, um, just thing. He, it was kind of like what started his career, wasn't it? I think it was one of the things that started his career. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so his, um, secret window, secret garden is his, is Mort's version of it. And this shooter guy, his um, story is called Sowing Season. Basically, the story is the man kills his wife and he plants her, he puts her body in a garden and he plants, like, one of them he plants corn, another one he plants potatoes, and he's eating the vegetables. It's like symbolically consuming his wife that cheated on him. And it's so obvious that this is kind of like based on. You know, Mort's dealing with his feelings of his ba- about his wife cheating on him and being, you know, wanting to kill her and everything. Uh, so I think Sewing Season was Mort's version, and Secret Window, Secret Garden was the other version. Mm-hmm. And then it also is a reference to the story is that there is a window that shows, a secret window that shows out to that garden that, you know, where he can see his wife in real life and Mort's life. So this is just obviously— Something that's coming from more. Already that's like a big flag, thinking, oh, is this guy real? And I had read The Dark Half by then, so I had, um, it's similar to The Dark Half with this, um, alter ego. So he kills his, he kills the cat, strings it up, he does all this stuff. He also ends up, he basically ends up killing a neighbor who had seen something. It turns out in the end that the manifestation of Shooter is he is a schizophrenic hallucination by mort it's his way of dealing with the guilt because he started his career by stealing a story from uh, one of his students when he was younger and he was a professor and that story was actually the only he kept sending in sending in things to this publication he just kept on and on and nobody wanted them but then he took this uh, redneck kid simple kid's Story and submitted it as his own, and that's when he had his big break in his career. So this is his guilt eating him up. Right. Okay. So what does this remind you of? It reminds
0: me of Fight Club. Oh yeah. Remember Fight Club, where the uh, main character is also the alter ego. Yeah. But that wasn't uh, based on guilt. Um, That was based
1: on the need to be free.
0: Yeah, like or, yeah. being fed
1: up, just right. a psychotic break, really. Yeah. But um, he does realize at the end that the Shooter is not real; it's a split, it's a split personality of his own. He ends up basically. Um, Amy had discovered, I think, that basically the divorce set him into insanity. That's his wife, ex-wife Amy, and she goes in there. Basically, Mort tries to kill her as this persona of Shooter, and then she escapes, and that's when. The insurance agent who had been doing a claim on the fire because he was suspicious, but he didn't ever say it. He actually had a gun on him, and he had showed up that day to interview him about it. And he shoots Mort, and so Mort becomes himself again, and he speaks to Amy, and he apologizes, and it, then he dies. And um, so Ted is the man she, Amy's with, you know, then, and she just. Basically, it ends with them talking about him and how. Where did she um,
0: find the hat?
1: She finds the hat, and uh, she also uh, found a like a note from him, uh, revealing that he traveled back to Mississippi, where the the uh, story came. He came for, which was Crowfoot Mile. So she basically thinks that he created a character so vivid in his mind that he came to life, and that's the end of that. It's okay. I think it came from Stephen King had been accused of plagiarism when in the past because somebody came to him and said, would you read my work and see what you think of it? And he didn't. I don't even know if he ever did read the work, but he refused to ever do that again because of this situation. Because honestly, if you're exposed to so many things all the time, you're reading so many books and you're influenced, you don't know where it comes from. I mean, it's not that you're necessarily copying somebody. It just um, it can all get Mixed up in your mind, so we'll check that out. It was an okay story. Uh, James Woods' uh, list, broomed it for me. I couldn't take it.
0: I don't remember. I don't, I I mean, I like, I actually like James Woods a lot because I follow him on Twitter, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't recognize his voice other than from movies, and I can't remember if he has a list, but I can't remember from the you don't remember it drove me crazy. Really? Yeah, I didn't. uh, yeah, I would more. I was more driven crazy by Willem Dafoe because uh, in this Willem Dafoe, I can't. He's got an interesting. Uh, you know, his movies are interesting, but uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't remember being uh, aggravated by by that. I did like this story better than Langaliers.
1: Okay, so now we're going to do the library policeman, and okay, this is the big trigger warning. There is. Um, essay against a child in this okay and it, it makes me mad that he had to put that in there because i really don't think it was necessary for the story do you think it was necessary for the story uh, and yeah, all the details
0: unc- yeah very uncomfortable
1: it was very annoying so i read this book because of this story and i didn't know all this other stuff was in it so there is a um a man named sam peebles and he is—I think he's an insurance salesman—and he's been asked to give a speech at the local Rotary Club because the guy that was going to do it came down with um, sick with some kind of like flu or something. So he has an office assistant in his office named Naomi Higgins, and she tells him that uh, he should go to the library and check out some books on speech writing. So he goes to the library. And when he gets there, he notices that it's all weird looking and different and it's old fashioned looking, but he just blows it off and he goes inside and he sees, he looks up and sees a skylight, which is important. And he's, he's looking around and nobody's there. And he sees some really scary posters um, about this guy named the library policeman. And it made him feel weird. And he ends up tasting red licorice in his mouth when he sees that and he doesn't understand why, and this is revealed later because he's like, I've never liked licorice and I've never had licorice is what he tells himself. Of course he's like, I know what it tastes like. But anyway, so he just was really just like, okay, this is creepy. And the posters, he thought he thought the style of the posters looked familiar. He couldn't place Thought he Maybe, you know, the, maybe the artist was familiar to him. It was also, um, you know, it basically said, don't, uh, forget to return your books or the library policeman will get you. And there's also, I think, like a um, Little Red Riding Hood and a scary wolf. It just looked really scary, and it was in the children's library area. And so a lady comes out, and her um, she's very kind of old-fashioned looking, and she's an older lady, and her name is Adelia Lawrence, Lortz. And so she... He's kind of like Is it these posters are um, appropriate, and, and she comes. She basically says, "Well, how, what other better way to make sure kids need you know need to know that they got to ret- how, the importance of returning your books?" So she asks. He asks, tells her what he needs, and she gets the books. And I think she. I don't know. Did she recommend the specific books, or did the assistant recommend the specific? I think she recommended them, right, Ordelia? Anyway, so he checks out the books, and she's uh, warning him again. She says, "Don't you know? Don't be late on Don't be late on these books, or I will have to send the library policeman after you." So he's like, "Whatever, lady." He thinks she's being just an old biddy or whatever. So he takes these books and he writes his his uh, his um, speech. Now this is the first indication that this is supernatural because. The speech is like a cra- crazy success, right. um, so he's basically like his his business explodes. His life's so great, he's living the high life. Um, I think he's get been getting drunk, you know, a few two times, hungover, doing a lot of these business meals that you know, and making all these connections, and he for- he forgets about the books. There's a local man that comes by, and they call him Dirty Dave. And he's just a local homeless type guy, alcoholic. You know, everybody's just like, oh, you know, everybody has one of those. Don't. It's just Dirty Dave. because He looks kind of, you know, uh, you know, looks like a unclean type of hobo guy. Right. And so he lets Dirty Dave come by once a week and take his newspapers to be recycled to get a little bit of money for them. And it turns out that those books were stuck underneath and he had picked them up and they all went to the recycling plant. So there's no way he can physically return these books. So then the library policeman calls him at first and then he goes and visits him and he's just freaking out because he's like something about the guy, you know, he can't figure out why this um, thing is triggering him so much. Well, he um, had reached out to uh, Dave, which was dirty Dave, but he reached out to Dave um, trying to figure out if he by any chance had the books before he found out they were taking the recycling plant and he meets some of Dave's friends. They're like, you know, the guy wanting Slim Jims all the time and some other guy. And he sees that Dave is drawing these posters for a like a church supper or something like that for um, his, you know, the ministry that helps them out. And he realizes that those are the same style. And he thought, I thought that was him, you know. And but he just doesn't really think about it because it hadn't escalated yet to where he's scared and he realizes something else is going on. But when he goes back trying to talk to um, Dave again, he finds out that this Naomi lady that works with him, she goes by a different name. It's like Sarah, something like that. And she leads these AA meetings, and Dave and the other guys are part of it. And so that's something that um, she doesn't share with everybody. She has a whole different private identity there. Right. And, and it was also indicated that that was probably the reason why she didn't really like him because he was such a, um, he kind of was acting like an alcoholic, maybe not alcoholic, but he was giving bad vibes to her when they went out to dinner once, and he was drinking a lot, yeah. and she never wanted to go out with him again because you know alcoholics have to be really strict; they can't be around drinkers if they want to keep um, their sobriety together. So he's given; they basically given him. He's very arrogant, so they're giving him the cold shoulder. Finally, he gets to Dave, and he talks to. Dave about what's going on, and he finds out that Ardelia Lawrence Lawrence is just a supernatural
0: being. Wasn't it? It was his girlfriend, too.
1: Yeah. She is not—yeah, she is—she um, disappeared, but the way the library looked at that time, it was a big scandal, because she—I think she—was she take two or three kids with her, or just one? I can't remember— um, so anyway she took some kids and they disappeared never saw them again and she left town it was a big scandal because every time he's trying to ask people about her because he thought she was um, you know because he had seen her name tag and everything and he went back to the library the library was modern there was no skylights there was just all these things that had happened so eventually he's able to convince Naomi that his intentions are pure because he's really scared for his life and he gets to Dave and Dave tells his story Turns out that O'Delia Lawrence is Pennywise Pennywise's daughter. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that's why it's because in the move in the book it um, Beverly meets with goes to her old house and the the name on the um, mailbox says Marsh, she's Beverly Marsh. But then when she goes in there's an old lady there and it says, and it turns out when she leaves, she freaks her out, and she leaves, and it says curse on it, okay? So, but she says, my, my father's name is Bob Gray, and that is Penny, another name that Pennywise goes by. Mm-hmm. So, everybody always thought it was Pennywise pretending to be uh, this woman, but now the theory is that this is, she's different than Pennywise. She feeds off of the children's fear she tells them these scary stories and puts them in a trance and drinks the fear out of their eyes with, like, a kind of like a sucker, like some kind of insectile thing. Right. So she is not Pennywise. So the idea is that she is the daughter, because you know, Pennywise had laid all those eggs. And the idea is that the Crimson King, which is something you don't know about yet, but Crimson King is in the Insomnia book and all the tower stuff. And the Crimson King is, um, probably maybe the father of, of this ch- child, you know? So, uh, cause Pennywise is female or at least she lays eggs. I think female males are like more of a different concept because they're, you know, they're extraterrestrial other dimension beings, you know? But, um, so her true form is like this weird insectile thing and everything, but she sucks the fear of the children and she tells uh, Dave and he helps her. He, he she keeps him drunk she, he was, like, one of the best um, artists in town. He was getting lots of jobs. He met her, and they just had the wildest, most passionate relationship, and he got sucked into her, but she kept him drunk basically the whole time, and so he agreed and helped her with the posters he made for the scary to scare the children. He stayed drunk, and he saw some of the stuff that she did, but he pretended he didn't see it, and she said that she had grown grown fond of him and it was time for like Pennywise would come up every 25 35 years so it was time for her to take her rest but she needed to really get a good feed on and she would have to kill a child to do that and she told him that she could make she had grown fond of him and she wanted him to go with her and hibernate for and then be young forever with her and um, that she would have they would both have to take one or two children. His lives in order to do it and he couldn't do it so she was gonna kill him but he got away she ended up take um you know killing a child and i think she hung like so supposedly hung herself or something like that or somebody got hung i can't remember but it was a big scandal in the town and so she's got like a dark mark that blows over the town so So she's back, and we know she's gonna go after Dave because she wants her revenge because he didn't go with her. So um, that because Pennywise had even offered them in the book yet, I can make you live forever if you don't um, kill me. Um, It will close to forever. It won't be forever, but it's pretty close. So that's obviously you have to. You can do the same thing that they do and become like them. They can give that immortality to you through that way which is very interesting because you find that there's a lot of people who work for these shadow creatures in the Tower series,
0: you know? what? How different are they then um, from uh, Doctor Sleep, uh, those uh, m- monsters in there? Those Those they, are ghosts. They were sucking the essence, I guess. Oh, yeah, like
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, Doctor Sleep. Oh, yes, those ghost guys. Yeah, that's the same. That's that's exactly the same thing, that mess that they're getting off of people. Yeah. It's all in the same family. That's part of that. Yep. That's part of it.
0: But it's, they're not the same creature. It's not the
1: same so. creature, but that's basically the key to turning humans into something else is to but drain energy. But they were energy.
0: only going after those who had the shining. Right. And they were only, and mostly only children other than Dr. Sleep himself who, yeah. had, who still had a strong shining even though he was an adult.
1: Yeah, that's right. But um, so in the end, I think Dave ends up dying from his injuries in a confrontation with her. But they do say that she does um, let's see, Sam C- they end up trying to get the books. So they end up flying over, they call in some favors, they fly over, get the these books, they're like in rare print, right. bring them back, and then deliver them to the library policeman. But before, they're like, you need to remember why this library policeman is terrifying you so much. And this is the trigger warning. And he remembers, finally, he remembers that he was, um, that he was, yeah, he was, uh, what's, what's a good word for this? Um, sodomized. He was sodomized, yeah, there's no good word for this. He was sodomized by a man who was pretending to be the library police, a library policeman when he was a child. He, um, the man grabbed him and, and he was, books were light, and he had glasses. So he, this, this monster took on the form of that and he had a kind of a weird lispy voice and he just told him, you know, I'm going to, you're going to have to pay your fine. And his fine was when he, uh, uh, you know, raped him. And he would, as an adult, he realizes it was lucky that he let him live because he could have easily just like snapped his neck and everything. But I would like to know what kind of library is this and what kind of town is this that he can go in the bushes and. Nobody sees this. It's just crazy, but I know things like this have happened. So that's his that's his trauma and his terror. So he when he realizes it and he conquers it, he's able to stand up to the library policeman. What well, turns out the library policeman is not um, Ardelia. It's actually something else that's serving her. And when it shows its true form, it was um she's actually just a little kinda like a little larva sized egg thing, right? You know? Like, she's just a small ball. And this uh, policeman was really, it's described in a way that it sounds just like Leland Gaunt from Needful Things in His True Form. So he was holding on to that little lump for her. Because that's really, she's not this whole being. She's just a little tiny thing. And then um, it ends up getting attached to Naomi. So they kill, or, well, Leland Gaunt thing, it just runs away because I don't think he can be killed but um they stand up and everything happens but then it gets attached to her to to his girlfriend. 29%? Yeah, the back of her neck and he takes um her over to the trains and he um basically finds a way to distract her and get it out and then he, he smushes it or and just yeah. or he throws it in the train track and it's tracks. Yeah. yeah. But um I, I do wanna point out that um Sam. The reason why she was messing with Sam is because she wanted him to be the next host for her for right. her little right. goo goo egg larva thing. She was going to inhabit him right. and wear him like a skin suit, you know. Because she obviously has to. She's a lesser form of life. She's not like she cannot. She's not like Pennywise, where Pennywise can have a whole body and do things. She has to have a host. So she was. Some why kind was he, Do You think
0: he was a good candidate because he had been abused. Um,
1: I, they had, they had said that he was a good candidate because, um, he was unattached. Uh, not a lot of people knew a lot about him. He was unmarried, so he could just disappear and go oh. from place to place. That's kind of, they'd pick they picked somebody that wouldn't notice, you know, kind of like a loner type guy, because he didn't have anybody. He didn't have any friends. Mm. Um, he had burned a lot of bridges in his life too. But it was interesting, except I really think that the um, essay was unnecessary, and even if it wasn't unnecessary, they didn't have to go in so much detail. Yeah, it was. I understand you remember these things in detail, but goodness, it was gross, and it was disturbing. Yeah. Okay, so the last novella is called The Sun Dog, and at first I thought this was going to be completely stupid, and then I listened to it, and I was like, man, I'm glad I listened to it, because... It's got Pop Merrill in it, and Pop Merrill is Ace Merrill's. Um, I think he's his his uh, either his uncle. Ace Merrill? Ace Merrill is the bad guy from the stand that played was played by Kiefer oh. Sutherland. Okay. He's also a character in uh, Needful Things, the book, but not the movie. They didn't bring him over, and he was um, he's just the bad guy of Castle Rock. He's a criminal, you know. Okay. So just kind of picture Kiefer Sutherland. But um, Pop Merrill was his, I think it was his uncle, his, or his gra- grand, great-uncle or something. I'm not sure. But So Pop Merrill, he is also portrayed in the show Castle Rock um, in the second season. So there's a lot, He's there's different versions of him. And he's actually played by... Is Pop Merrill a good guy or a bad guy? He's a bad guy. A guy. Um, so in the, the whole sh- family's kind of bad. Yeah, they're all bad. He was one of those that lends out money to people and charges high interest rates because oh, okay. they didn't have credit. He would, uh, you know, get trinkets and sell them and underbuy them like, you know, this is drunk and then sell them for a lot. But he also had, I thought he was very interesting because he knew about supernatural things and he would knew who to call. Right. Um, he called them Mad Hatters and he would go around selling these weird things to them, you know, like ghosts. Photographs yeah. and everything. So,
0: um, it's funny though that when he finally comes upon something that's real he can't get anybody to, to yeah. buy it. Yeah, that's know? right. That's, that's what like, it works. The irony is <laughs> really Yeah. They'll believe, the, they'll believe the stuff that's just outrageously, you know, just not going to Fake, yeah. Work. And something he can actually prove they had doubts about. They're like, yeah. oh, this could be done this way, this could be done that way.
1: <laughs> I honestly wish he would write a story about those two twin sisters or whatever. Yeah, like some of these people, these Mad Hatters, I really wish that he, because um, I saw there was a Rose Hatter, um, Rosematter. Yeah, it's it matter or something like that book and I was like, No, that's not it. That's not I just he really has a good chance to write a story about these guys. Well anyway, it starts out with this kid named Kevin, gets a Sun six sixty Polaroid camera for his fifteenth birthday. But every time he takes a picture, there's it's not it's not it's like just a picture of a dog in the same fence area. It's never them. It's never the people who takes the fun, you know. And so it starts out, um it's like a fence or everything. So I thought This was Cujo. But by the end of the story, I realized it's not Cujo. It's some other dog. And um, it's weird because it could have been, but Cujo's mentioned, I think, in it. But it's uh, like in reference, but it's not. So his solution to figure out, because he's terrified, because the dog is seeming to get closer. It started out with like a shadow, then maybe a little paw, and then it gets closer, and he realizes the dog is getting closer and closer, like he's going to jump and attack. Right. So it's terrorizing him, so he takes—no one believes him. Everybody thinks it's just some stupid flaw, And but he's like, no, the dog's moving, something else is going on. So finally, he decides to take it to Pop Merrill's shop and see if he'd ever heard of this or something like that, or if he could fix it. And Pop Merrill realizes it's something cool that he can exploit, and he wants to— Um, help the kid, but he doesn't. So what he does is he basically switches the camera out for another one, and um, he's going to try to sell it. So he smashes the camera, but it's a fake camera. So the kid, you know, but the kid's realizing something's going on. He still doesn't feel right. He's still getting these feelings, and I think he's having, like, kind of premonition and nightmares and stuff or something. I can't exactly remember what made him paranoid about it, but, um, uh, anyway, so Pop Merrill tries to sell it, and it's like the real deal. Like you had said, finally got something that's good, and that's when you can't sell it, mm-hmm. like all these or and everything. And they're kind of like, well, what does it do? So nobody really cares, and he can't sell it. So then it turns out that he is taking the picture. The more pictures they take, the closer it is to jumping through the camera and attacking. So... Pop Merrill's in a trance, thinking he has already destroyed the, the clock. Because I mean, not the clock. He destroys a clock, thinking it's the, um, I think he destroys something, thinking it's, uh, He, fought, he th- he's like, okay, I'm scared. This is getting scary. He found himself in a trance taking pictures, so he tries to destroy it, but instead he goes into a trance. He destroys something else. He thinks he's working on a cuckoo clock, but he's actually fixing the camera, getting it ready, and he's in a trance, and then uh, finally, um, at the very end, kind of like the moment of truth, the kid comes back and says, I know what you did. You didn't destroy the, the clock. I mean, the. So, Pop Merrill is thinking that he's working on a cuckoo clock, and he's just continuously taking more and more pictures. He'd gone to the store in a trance to buy more film, and he just can't stop. And then the dog uh, starts to come out, and it kills Pop Merrill. So that's what happens to him. But then Kevin um, st- comes in and buys a, another camera. And he, and he takes, just as the, the dog's about to release itself, he takes its picture trapping it in that camera, you know. Yeah. So it moves from camera to camera. And then at the end, he uh, has a computer for his birthday this time. And he starts using the word processor and it keeps saying the quick brown, let will say the quick brown Fox jumps over the lazy dog. And he realizes um, that's what he had typed to see if it was working. And then instead it prints out the dog is loose again. It is not sleeping. It is not lazy. It's coming for you, Kevin. It's very hungry and very angry. Hmm. So that's just, um, yeah, that's it. So that's a quote from that book. Do
0: you think the camera was specifically for him? Or because he used it, that it became obsessed
1: with him. Obsessed with him, yeah. I don't know. I think it was like bad luck. He got the camera, and once he got it, it was um, the dog was after him. I don't think it was like predestined, or like you know. It just seems like because when he was able to move it to another camera, that makes me think that some happened to some other kid, or some other person, or whatever, caused it to get trapped. So basically, that's the ending of this. I enjoyed getting a picture of Pop Merrill because he's referred to in Cujo. He's referred to in Needful Things and a couple other books. He's referred, and then in that show Castle Rock on Hulu. So it's good to see him. And you know, I didn't get to say what was the name of the actor that played in Shawshank Redemption.
0: Well, Timothy Robbins.
1: Yeah, Timothy Robbins plays Pop. Oh, really? And I haven't seen the show. I've just seen one episode, so I don't. He seems like he's nice, but he might not be nice. So um, we'll see. Because Ace Merrill is just every version of him just is not good, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so that's the end of our podcast on this. We'll try to check out uh, some of the um, two of these have have movies. Um, we'll check those out. And at least I'll check those out and get back with you if I can't get um, anybody to watch it. Well, we'll see. But just say bye, hello so we can wrap it up. All right. Good night. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to announce that I finally got my uh, crapola together. And I'm starting to do my other podcast, which is called No One Wants to Read My Book. This will be me reading basically one of my unpublished or self-published books. So check it out and see why no one wants to read my books, okay? Thanks. Bye.